Andrew Womack Ministries presents the 2007 Fort Worth Gospel Truth Seminar. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen to this session. I'm going to start sharing in a series. I'll be teaching everything in a series uh, tonight through Saturday. And then also we have morning meetings tomorrow morning and um, Saturday morning. And I'm going to be teaching in a series, and I don't know what to call this. I'm going to be teaching a combination of things. I really feel impressed to do this, and I think it's going to really be good and help you. But I'm going to be teaching along the lines of some of the stuff I teach, and you've already got it. Some of the things I teach in the Believer's Authority and a few other things thrown in. So I don't know what to call this, but basically it's talking about what part is God's responsibility and what part is your responsibility. And I really believe that this is where a lot of people are missing it and not receiving the things that God wants to do is because they are asking God to do what He told us to do. And there are certain things that God is supposed to do that we are trying to do on our own and make it happen. And there's confusion in this area. And this is one of the ploys of the devil. Uh, you have to learn what's of God. The Scripture says in James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore unto God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there are some things that are from God. There are some things from the devil. You are the one that makes this decision, makes the determination. You submit to the things that are of God and resist the things that are of the devil. So anyway, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about the authority that we have. This will be talking some about how to overcome demonic things that are in your life. Uh, I've got some things to share with you that I think could radically change your life. It certainly has mine. You know, I got off on a tangent giving the devil more credit than what he was due for a period of time. And uh, the devil came close to killing me. And praise God, I've learned a few things. And uh, this could help you and it could make a big difference. The very first thing that I want to do, I want to start, before I even start talking about all of that, I've got to counter what I consider to be the worst doctrine in the body of Christ. The, the worst thing, the thing that Satan uses more than anything else to keep people in bondage. And uh, I don't know how to sneak up on this subject. <laughs> I'm just going to have to attack it. Amen. And let me just preface this by saying that this, just the, what I'm going to talk about will offend some of you. But, you know, God brought you here tonight. And so if God brought you here, he knew what I was going to say. And so... Swallow real hard and listen and consider this and maybe God wants to speak something to you. So even if this isn't what you're used to hearing or if this offends you or something, you know, you ought to at least consider it. And I believe that if you could change your heart on this and receive what the Word of God has to say, this could make a huge difference in your life. But the very first thing I feel like I've got to do is I've got to counter the teaching on the sovereignty of God. And I am not really against saying that God is sovereign if you use sovereign the way that the dictionary defines it. And the dictionary just simply says sovereign means highest in rank, order, or authority. Uh, a popular way of saying it is that God's the top of the food, ch food chain. Nobody gives God any orders or directions. He is absolutely sovereign. If you want to say that, I am 100% in agreement with that. But sovereign has a connotation in the church realm that you can't find in the dictionary. If you look the word sovereign up, I encourage you to go home. You can look in every dictionary you want to find. And nowhere will sovereign be defined 
as absolute, total control, nothing happens outside of the person who is sovereign. Even if you talk about a king or a monarch as being sovereign over a nation, that means that they are the ones that's in authority. But you know what? There's all kinds of people that rebel at that authority. There's things that happen outside of their will, and that's why they have the police system and the court system is to try and enforce it. You wouldn't need any of those kind of things if a sovereign just absolutely controlled every single thing. But the word sovereign has taken on this religious connotation today to where people are saying that God controls us like a pawn. Everything that happens in your life is ordered and ordained by God. It's predetermined and you basically have no choice in the matter. And that whatever happens, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You know, I was preaching this morning and used that, and I remembered it when I was over in France. I said that, and it turned out that was French. And it was kind of neat. I was going along and say, said that, and they interpreted it in English. <laughs> so that was neat. I didn't know that was French. But anyway, <clears throat> I digress. But there's people that see, just think that God controls everything. And there's many applications of this. But if you were talking about healing, there's people who pray and say, Lord, if it's your will... Heal me, and then they just wait to see if it's God's will for them to be well. They pray and they put fleeces out and believe that God just supernaturally controls things. If they try and get a job and if they don't get it, they just assume that it was God's will that caused all of this to happen. And there's people that... This is probably dominant in the body of Christ from my experience. There's more Christians that believe that God just sovereignly moves and controls things and nothing happens without God's will. And they'll either, there's one of two interpretations. Either God demands it and this is his perfect will or God has to allow everything. Nothing can happen without God saying, okay, I'll let you do it. So even if it's something that's not God's perfect will, Satan has to gain permission from God before Satan can do anything. That's probably the dominant doctrine in the body of Christ. More Christians subscribe to that than probably anything else. And in my opinion, I believe that that is the worst heresy in the body of Christ. It totally neutralizes faith. It totally takes so many scriptures, you might as well just take them and throw them in the trash, like the one that I already quoted, James 4, 7, about submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If God is the one that controls everything, if nothing can happen without his permission and it all works together and somehow or another sovereignly all comes together so that everything is good, well then there's no reason to submit to some things and resist the other because after all, it's all God. If you really believe that, why would you ever go to the doctor and try and get well if God's the one that put the sickness on you? If God's trying to teach you something, if this is His will, then you're resisting God when you try and get well. If you really believe that God is the source of everything, then you ought to let sickness run its course. You ought to let poverty just... Run its course. Just stay home and eat bonbons all day and watch as the stomach turns because you couldn't do it if it wasn't God's will. And one thing that always gets me is when I talk along these lines, people will come up and they are mad, mad, mad. That God's going to get you. You're going to be punished. This is the devil speaking through you. And I always tell them, I couldn't have said this if it wasn't God's will. Amen. <laughs> And so the people who disagree with me are proving my point. When they say that this isn't God leading you to say this, well, then you have just proved your point, amen, that not everything that happens is ordained of God. 
That is wrong, wrong, wrong. And it does a number of different things. But one of the things that it does, it totally makes you passive to where you aren't in the driver's seat. You're just sitting back there going along and whatever will be, will be. And you have no control, no authority. And man, there's a million scriptures in the Word of God that disprove that. Let me just start sharing a few things with you. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's 1 Peter. No, it's 2 Peter. That's right. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. I'm breaking right into the middle of a thought, but it's talking about people who are saying, oh, the Lord's never coming back. People have been saying that the Lord's coming back since the beginning of time and nothing has ever changed. And, and he's giving explanation and he's basically saying it's because of the long suffering and the mercy of the Lord that he is prolonging his coming back because he wants to give everybody an opportunity to be born again. And right in the midst of this, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I'm just taking a portion of this out of here, but notice the phrase where it says that God is not willing that any should perish. I don't know how you can get it in any clearer language than this. This is not God's will for a person to perish. It says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 10, I think it is, or somewhere around there, it says, whosoever, verse 13, whosoever shall believe or whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It makes it very clear that the Lord died for everybody, not just for a select few. And this verse sum summarizes it by saying, God is not willing for a single person to perish and to go to hell. That is God's will. And yet Jesus is the one that said that there will be more entered by the broad gate unto destruction than there is by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. Jesus said God's will does not automatically come to pass. I don't know how you can argue with that. I don't know how anybody can, can uh, contest what I'm saying right here. The scripture makes it very clear. Jesus gave his life for everybody. The atonement has been... Uh, made. The price has been paid. It is God's will for every person to be saved. And yet they aren't saved. And Jesus prophesied they wouldn't save, that there would be more that would reject salvation than accept it. And so God's will does not automatically come to pass. Now God has made the provision and his will is for every person to be saved, but he gave us the choice. God is not going to violate your free will. You know, I've heard stories, I'm sure that some of you have, about people who were such evangelists, they went out and just made people get saved. This one guy, Percy Ray, I don't know if any of you ever heard of Percy Ray, but he was a big guy, weighed about 300 pounds, and he got this guy and ran him down an alley and tackled him and sat on the guy for all night long. Kept this guy, he sat on him for 12 hours and said he wouldn't let him up until this guy got saved. So this guy got saved, quote unquote. I'm not sure that he didn't just pray a prayer to get Percy off of him. I don't know exactly whether he's truly born again or not. But you know what? Technically speaking, you cannot force a person to get saved. You can't make them get saved. God will protect 
an individual's free will all the way to hell and defend their right to go to hell. Nobody can force another person to be saved. Jesus could not do many mighty works in his hometown because of their unbelief in Mark chapter 6 verse 5. He wanted to do mighty works, but he couldn't because those people didn't receive. In the 8th chapter of the book of Mark, he had to take a man by the hand and lead him out of the town because of all of the unbelief that was in that city called Bethsaida because he knew it would hinder him being able to heal. He had to cast out the scorners in Mark chapter 5 when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus had to deal with unbelief of other people because he could not do everything that he wanted to do when people were resisting. And Jesus was operating in the power of God perfectly. So anyway, there's so many things here, but all of these things are saying that God's will does not automatically come to pass. And you know, I was talking to a woman today who was asking me some questions along these lines, and she was saying, well, what about this and what about that? And finally, I just talked to her and I said, will you agree that this, I was pointing this out and some other things, is not the will of God? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, then if there's one thing that God doesn't absolutely control and make come to pass, then this doctrine that God absolutely controls everything is flawed. And you can't believe it. It's either all true or it's not true. God does not control everything that goes on in your life. And you know, one of the reasons that I believe that this is so pervasive and that so many people embrace this is because it's a convenient theology. It's really nice to just look at whatever happens and say, well, it must have been God's will. If a baby is born with some deformity, birth defect or something like that, rather than try and sit here and figure out, is there anything that we could have done differently or to recognize that we live in a fallen world and just some things happen, it's easier just to cope with it by saying, well, the ways of God are higher than our ways. God works in mysterious ways. God must have some purpose. You know, I've gone to funerals before. I've heard people talk about funerals and they'll sit there and they'll say, we don't know why God took this person. They just assume that if a person dies, they can't die without God. You call it in your number. It's up. God has a day circled and that's your day to go. And you're going to live or die based on what God's will is for your life. That is not so. You stick a gun to your head and pull the trigger and you'll die whether that was your day to die or not. God does not control all of those kind of things. God is not the one that does this. People just assume that God controls it. And yet the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus came to destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. It says very clearly that Satan is the one that had the power of death. You got to remember that God warned us not to eat of the tree because in the day that we eat thereof, uh, you shall surely die. He warned us against death. We're the ones that chose death. We're the ones that started all of this corruption. We're the ones that have started all of these destructive things. God does not control everything in your life. Look over in Romans chapter 8 and let me use a verse that if people don't know any other scripture in the Bible, they'll quote this one. Even unbelievers quote this scripture. Romans chapter 8 and in verse 28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And again, people will quote this. I was actually at a full gospel businessmen's meeting one time where the main speaker 
had just come from a funeral of two young people who died in a car wreck and he had just preached the funeral and he got up and talked about this and told us how that, you know, God works in mysterious ways and that God had a purpose and that we don't always understand, but God had a purpose. This is going to work together for good. And the story was that these two kids had been drinking. They were drunk. They were speeding. It was raining. They went around a curve and couldn't make the curve. And they ran into a telephone pole and it killed the two of them. And he was saying how God did this. Let me just say some things here. That You know what? If we weren't poisoned by religion, nobody in their right mind would think that God did that. Nobody in their right mind would blame God for killing two kids, especially when they had gotten drunk, when they were speeding, going too fast and going around a corner. There's some things that it's just normal, natural. You get drunk and you aren't possessing your facilities. Even if you weren't drunk, if you're going too fast on a slick road and turn a corner, there's just a law of inertia that a body in movement tends to stay in movement and resist change, whether it's turn. You know, if you turn, that's the reason you, you go to one side. It's just a law. I learned that in school. That's just a natural thing. God didn't kill those kids. God didn't do that. And yet people will sit here and say, but, but this says that God does everything. It does not. Again, you have to already be prejudiced. You have to already have a bias to get that out of this scripture. If you hadn't have been told all of your life that God does everything, God is sovereign, God controls it, you wouldn't get that out of this scripture. You have to be polluted, brainwashed to be able to get that. Was that too subtle? I know some of you don't like this, but I'm passionate about this because I've seen the other side of it. I've seen a lot of people destroyed through this. But look at this verse. In verse 28 it says, And we know... The very first thing is, it starts with a conjunction. The word and is a conjunction. The word and means that this is linked to the previous statements. What were the previous statements? Verses 26 and 27 says, That likewise the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, etc. And it goes on and talks about that. It's talking about the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And if you study this out in the Greek, the word that is used there for helps our infirmities, I won't try and pronounce it, but it's a word that means He takes hold together with us. Which what this is saying is, the Holy Spirit doesn't do it for you. But when you start interceding, when you are seeking and when you are striving to see success, then the Holy Spirit will supernaturally help you. It's not you doing it without the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit doesn't do it without you. But when you start doing what's right, seeking God and resisting, then the Holy Spirit supernaturally energizes it. The significance of all of this is it doesn't work without your cooperation. You have to start it. You have to initiate it. But when you start believing God and when you start interceding and praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then the Holy Spirit will supernaturally energize your prayer. And if you have been doing that, we know 
that ought. Now see that right there, we wouldn't have to go any further than that to sit here and totally change the way that people have taken this verse. They apply this to kids that are getting drunk and going too fast on a road and say, well, we know that all things work together for good. Those kids weren't interceding in the Holy Spirit working together and taking hold together with them. We apply this to just anything, everything that God just sovereignly moves. That's not what this is saying. It starts by saying, and, in other words, if this other thing has happened, if you are operating in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is interceding through you, then you can say that God works through these things. But notice also in this verse, it didn't say, and we know that all things come from God. Now see, that's the way it's interpreted. People take this to say, well, this right here says that nothing can happen without God willing it. It does not. This doesn't blame God as the source of negative things. But if a person is interceding and letting the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit work on the inside of them, God can take anything that comes in life, whether it is just normal or if it is demonic or if it is just you. You know, there's, there's some things that I believe the devil actually takes notes on you. We heard that at our minister's conference. Bob Yandian was talking about that, that the devil probably sometimes says, man, I never thought of that. And he takes notes on the way you're screwing your life up. You just have a wonderful ability to do things. And some things, I believe it even surprises the devil how much of a mess you can make out of things. He's probably learned from some of us. So it's not always the devil. Sometimes it's just you that messes it up. There's different reasons why things happen. But regardless of whether it's the devil or if you just messed up or whatever's happening, God can work it together for good. That doesn't, believe, that doesn't mean that God is the author of it. You know, I watched a television program. I'm not going to mention the name of this guy, but he's right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and he's on nationwide television and I saw him interview two women, or this woman, who her and her daughter were abducted at gunpoint, put in the back of a car, driven out to a remote area somewhere around here, and the guy raped both of them, sexually abused them, put them down on their face, and shot both of them in the back of the head. And the daughter died. The mother survived. And she was on this program. And they were teaching from Romans 8.28. And saying, we don't know what God's purpose in all of this was. We don't know why God caused this to happen. We don't know, but we know that He's working it together for good. And that there was some purpose in there. And I tell you what, I was livid. I was yelling at the television set like my father is not the one that causes people to rape people and murder them and do this. God is not the one who's doing that. God doesn't cause all of these things. God is not the one that's the author of the tragedy. God is not the one that's making babies deformed and doing these kind of things. And if you believe that, there's a number of things wrong. One of them is it's going to give you a totally wrong perception of the true nature and character of God. How in the world can you love... You know, if, if I could do all of the things that God is blamed for doing, there isn't a nation on this earth. I mean, you can go to the dictators. You can go to the uncivilized people. There isn't a nation on the face of the earth that wouldn't kill me that wouldn't judge me somehow or another, lock me up and punish me if I was guilty of everything that God is guilty of. People blame God for everything. They even put it in their contracts that this is an act of God. 
That's terrible. You know where they got that from? The church. That's what the church has been preaching. The church is the one, you know, when uh, 9-11 happened. Man, I went on the television within 24 hours. I made programs and we had them on the website and we rushed them to the stations. And within two or three days, I was on there saying God didn't do this. And the reason I was doing that, because for the first 24 hours, I watched television. And again, I won't call names, but the leading evangelists, the leading people in this nation were all saying that this is God's judgment. God did this because we've kicked him out of our schools in prayer And they were blaming God for killing thousands and thousands of people and saying that God is the one that did this. Brothers and sisters, God did not cause 9-11. God is not the one who inspired these terrorists to kill themselves and to kill all of these other people. God did not do that. And if you believe that that is God, then that gives you a skewed impression of God. It gives you a false impression of God and it's going to hinder you. The Bible says that faith works by love. Man, if you think that that is a loving God that does all of these things and has caused all of the deformities and every time a person dies, if there's a car wreck, if there's a cancer, if there's anything, God is the source of it, then I guarantee you, you do not have a very active love relationship with a God like that. You might serve Him out of fear, But you aren't going to be operating in love. And again, faith works by love, Galatians 5, 6. And it's going to hinder you receiving from God. Boy, it's critical that you understand that we've got a loving God who is not the author of all of this kind of stuff. Also, it's going to make you passive. But like I've already said, why resist the devil if everything that happens, if the devil is nothing but Satan's messenger boy? You know, Jamie and I heard a teaching actually... Uh, I've got a lady here somewhere. I don't know where she is, but uh, her name used to be Pam Smith. I don't remember what your last name is, but she's here somewhere. And her sister was a very good friend of Jamie and me. And I heard this teaching that Satan is God's messenger boy. And I brought those tapes back and gave it to Pam's sister, Debbie. She listened to them, and on there is where they told about a boy that was too embarrassed to witness too ashamed to witness, and he prayed and said, God, I want you to use me whatever you've got to do. If you have to kill me, if you have to give me a cancer, give me a cancer and I'll bear it patiently. And I'll glorify you by the way I bear it. And so he prayed and he came down with leukemia. And he died of leukemia. And at his funeral, four people got born again. And you know what? I was under that teaching and I brought that teaching back, gave it to Debbie. You know what she did? She prayed that prayer. And the next day was diagnosed with leukemia. And we were praying and asking God to heal her. But you know, we had already asked God to give it to her. Double-mindedness. And anyway, Debbie died from that. And I'm telling you that that happened because of this doctrine that God controls everything. When you open yourself up and say, if it's your will, give me a cancer, I guarantee you God's not going to give you a cancer, but Satan will take advantage of a prayer like that. And I know firsthand that that doctrine will kill you. That doctrine is deadly. It makes you passive. How in the world can you receive healing when you've already asked God to give you a sickness or a disease? 
It's double-minded. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you are double-minded, if you're on one hand submitted to it, I'll receive it, and on the other hand, oh God, heal me. That's double-minded, and a double-minded man will not receive anything of the Lord. Again, I go back to this logic. If God's the one that controls everything, if God's the one that gave you sickness, then you're double-minded to sit there and try and get healed of it if God gave it to you to humble you and to break you and to make you something. That's double-minded. You can't receive anything. Satan takes advantage of that passiveness. James 4, 7 says you have to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. It's not passive. Saying, dear devil, please leave me alone is not resisting the devil. You got to get angry. You know, God gave us the capacity to get angry. Anger is a God-given capacity. Every person has the ability to get angry. Sometimes we think that no, anger is all sin because of the way it's used most of the time. Most of us get angry at people, which isn't right. The Bible says we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not people that's your problem. But we do have the capacity for anger. It's not supposed to be directed towards people. It's supposed to be directed towards the devil and all of the evil that's in this world. You know, here's a little bit of andeology. You may not agree with this. But I believe that God gave all of us the capacity for anger. And not only capacity, God is ang- gets angry. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is to hate evil. There are certain things that you are supposed to hate. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, Abhor that which is evil. There are certain things that you're supposed to abhor. We are made in His image. And you know what? God is a just God. And there's things that God hates. He says, these things do I hate. Yea, seven of them are an abomination unto me. We are made in His image. And we have this capacity for hatred and anger. If you don't hate babies being killed, if you don't hate homosexuality and immorality, If you don't hate the things that you're supposed to hate, then you just got it in your nature that you've got to hate something. There has to be something that's evil. God created us that way. There's an innate desire to hate that which is evil and to love that which is good. So if you change all of the rules and if killing babies is no longer wrong and if immorality is no longer wrong, then you know what you have to do? You have to wind up hating fatty foods and you're going to pass laws and that's going to become your mantra and you're going to fight this and you're going to hate caffeine and you're going to hate, you know, people that kill the little spotted owls and you're going to hate these emissions and you're going to get on somebody's bandwagon and you're going to hate something. And so you go to, you will allow people to kill humans, but don't dare kill the snail darter. Don't dare wear anything with fur in it. What kind of an inhuman person are you? But you can abort your babies and that's okay. It's a perversion. You are going to hate something. And if you don't hate what God hates, then whatever you hate is wrong. Amen. Praise God. And that's how all that stuff gets started. 
So anyway, God gave us this capacity for anger. We are supposed to be angry, and we're supposed to be angry at the devil. When it says resist the devil, it means to fight him with everything you've got. You need to have an attitude that doesn't put up with it. And you know what? If you believe that everything is of God, then it totally pacifies you. Because if you were to fight sickness, if you were to fight divorce, if you were to fight depression and hate it and say, I will not, and you get angry at it, well, if God is sovereign, well then, how do you know that God didn't cause this depression? God's the one that's punishing you because of something. He's trying to humble you and make you better. And if you think that God has a hand in it, then you can't truly fight against it with all of your heart, lest you wind up fighting against God. To me, that's impeccable logic. I don't know how anybody can fault that. If you believe that God is the source of everything, then there is no point in you resisting anything. You know, this same man that I told you about that I brought this teaching back, that that title was entitled, uh, Satan is God's Messenger Boy. That was the title of his message. He said that Satan is on a leash. It's like a dog. And he can only go as far as God will let him. Satan has to get permission for everything he does. That's not true. It's not what the Word says. So ultimately, he was saying, even your problems, even if it's demonic, it's all of God. And this same man, he came to the church that I was in. And this is after I got back out of the service. Jamie and I were engaged and we had just gone to get our physicals so that we could get our marriage license and and get married. And I found out that I had, uh, what was it, yellow jaundice or something like that. Anyway, it's usually not fatal, but it's uh, something that you have to be bedridden with for up to six weeks or something. And uh, I wasn't going to stay in bed. I wasn't going to just lay down and do nothing for six weeks. I was working pouring concrete for a living. And um, anyway, there's a lot of things that happen, but... I had had two dreams, and in these dreams, I'd had, uh, I won't tell you all of the dream, it's a long, drawn-out thing, but the bottom line was it was terrible, and it was like one of them, this guy was attacking me, and when I woke up, I thought, oh, it's only a dream. And I went into the restroom, washed my face, and I looked, and I was bleeding from all of this stuff. Satan had attacked me. It wasn't just physical, it was demonic. And they were, they were terrible dreams, scared the uh, whatever out of me, just... <laughs> scared me bad and I went to rebuking this and anyway I had already put those dreams aside that oh this isn't God but then this teaching came that nothing can happen but what God allows it and that God is the author of these negative things and it planted a little doubt about maybe this is God trying to warn you and then I went to Nacogdoches Texas and I was in a Dairy Queen there I grew up in Arlington Texas but I was in Nacogdoches Texas and a woman I'd never seen before walked up to me in a Dairy Queen and said God speaks once yea twice in visions of the night when deep sleep falls upon man you thought those two dreams were of the devil but they are of God and man all the hair on the back of my neck stood up I was still a Baptist and I thought whoa And you know what? It made me think, well, maybe this is God. And then this guy who taught that Satan is God's messenger boy and told the story about the guy who prayed for leukemia and died and four people were born at his funeral, born again. He came to our church and he ministered a message about all of this. 
And anyway, all of these people were talking to me and I had just been diagnosed with this yellow jaundice. And if you don't go bed fast, it could kill you. It's not usually something that kills you, but if you don't uh, take the treatment, you'll die of it. And, you know, it was a pretty serious deal. And so I was facing this crisis. I had all of these dreams, this prophecy. And this guy at the church was saying, God is going to put you into a coma. He prophesied over me and you're going to be in a coma for eight years. And this is God that is putting you into a coma because he's breaking you and he's making you a better person. And when you come out of this coma, you're going to be like the Apostle Paul. And because of this teaching that, well, it must be God. And this is the kind of stuff that God does. Did you know I was submitting to it? And Jamie and I went out to eat. And I forget, there's about a dozen people or more that we were all out to eat. And this guy was sitting across the table from me and telling me these prophecies that God was going to make me this vegetable. And here I was. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go to bed and lay there for six weeks to get over yellow jaundice. They said if you don't do it, you could die or go into a coma. Everything was seeming to fit together. And I thought, well, this is it. This is what God's going to do. And he had me there. And you know what? Because I had made a total commitment of my life to the Lord, if that's what God wanted for me, I was willing to accept it. And I was sitting there and saying, well, you know what? I'll accept it. That's God's will. I'll receive it. And this guy just was laying it on thick, boy, and telling me all of this stuff. And the devil will always, always overplay his hand. He just can't contain himself. He's an egomaniac. And so he had me. I was on the ropes. I was saying, I accept it. I was sitting there, tears in my eyes. I'll accept it. I'll, I'll go into a coma. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I was listening to all this stuff. And then he says, and the worst part of all of this is that for eight years, God won't let me read the Bible. He will not let me. He told me I can't study the word except when I preach is the only time I open my Bible. God will not let me study scripture. Now, I didn't know much, but I knew better than that. I knew that God would never tell anybody not to be in the word. And I remember when that happened, I don't remember exactly how I did it, but I said, that's not of God. And, and I rejected it. I stood up and told them all. I said, I refuse to accept this. And basically, Jamie and I had to break and get out of that church and leave people that were so-called friends and stuff because everybody was telling me I was in rebellion. But boy, there was no way I would submit to being in a coma for eight years, but I am not going to be out of the Word. Amen. I was that close. I was that close to being destroyed. Because of this doctrine that I'm countering. It renders you passive. I mean, if God controls everything and if somehow or another, if you've got cancer, God gave it to you. He either gave it to you or He allowed it. If you really believe that, then you would become passive the way that I was. You know, the truth is most people who promote this don't really believe it. They believe it selectively. They believe it when it's convenient. When it's something that, you know what, you just can't bear the thought that, God, did I mess up? Did I cause this problem? God, did I cause somebody to die because I was teaching them wrong and giving them wrong information? Most people can't handle that. And so it's just, well, it must have been God's will. God is sovereign. God works in mysterious ways. 
It's God that caused two women to be abducted and raped and one killed and shot in the head because God was working it together for good. That is sick. Only religious people would ever fall for that. Nobody would go for that otherwise. Are you still in Romans chapter 8? It starts with and, we know, that links it to the intercession. It didn't say that God causes it. It just says God can work it together for good. And then it goes on to say that he can work it together for good for them that love God. Now that limits the number of people that this is going to work for tremendously. Not everybody loves God. And for you to just look out there and look at Joe Blow, whoever they are, and say, well, all things work together for good. That's wrong. It's dependent upon whether or not you are letting the Holy Spirit intercede through you. It didn't say God caused it, but God can work it together for good. And it's limited to those who love God. And I don't believe that that is only are inclusive of all born-again Christians. There's some people who are born-again that don't love God. There are some born-again Christians who got saved as an insurance policy. It was all about them receiving their sins forgiven, but you couldn't say that they're passionate about God. So I don't even believe that you could say that this is for every Christian, but it's for the Christians who are passionate and serving God and loving God and serving God. That narrows it quite a bit. And then it has another qualification on it. It says, to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What is the purpose of the Lord? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, I believe it is, 8 or 9 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy him, uh, or that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' purpose was to come to this earth and destroy the works of the devil. So, if you aren't trying to destroy the works of the devil, if you aren't resisting the devil, then it won't work together for good. If you are yielded to the devil, if you open up your arms and say, Oh, devil, thank you for coming and, and uh, into my life, and God loosed you, and he has you on a leash, and this is somehow or another going to make me better. If you embrace him instead of resist him, it's not going to work together for good. You've got to be resisting the devil. You've got to love God. You've got to be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you are doing all of the above, then when Satan throws something at you, throw your best shot, devil, and it's going to work together for good. We'll rub the devil's nose in this. Now see, this is a great passage of Scripture, but all it's saying is that if you're doing all of these things, seeking God and the power of the Holy Spirit's working on the inside of you, then whatever the devil wants to do in your life... God can overcome it. God can take that negative and work it together for good. And I've used this verse a lot of times in my life. I remember when they came and told me that our publishers, that we had paid $28,000 to to get our first book published, and $28,000 was like a million dollars would be to me now. I mean, it was a huge sum of money. We had gone out on a limb, and our partners had supplied this and we had pre-sold the books and then the guy that we gave the money to ran off with all of it and we didn't get it. And it was not only going to... We didn't only lose the 28000 but it was going to cost me $40,000 to actually republish that book. So I not only lost 20000 or twenty-eight. I lost the 40000 additional, so a total of $68,000, which was a huge, huge... It was like... I don't know, six months or a year's worth of income for me at the time. It was a huge amount. And when my staff came and told me that, 
you could ask them. We had somebody here that was a friend of Mike Martin. Mike Martin is a guy that actually told me about this thing, and, and you could ask him. When he told me, I stood there for about a few seconds and looked at him trying to compute what all of this meant. And then I started shouting and going, Hallelujah! Praise God! And they thought that I had flipped out. They thought that I'd, I'd lost it. They said, what's happening? And I said, the Bible says if you catch a thief, he has to restore sevenfold or give all of the substance of his house to repay. I sat down and I took a pencil and I multiplied seven times uh, 68,000 and added it up. And I said, that's how much we're getting back this year. And did you know when our year end came, it was nearly to the dollar, 400 and something thousand or whatever that was, more than what we had had the year before. Amen. And because I responded positively in these areas, because I loved God, because I was resisting the devil, then God worked it together for good. And we actually increased and it was like something good happened. You know, the same thing happened right here. I remember when the uh, tornado hit the other building and I was, you know, I heard about it. I got on the internet and within an hour, here was Pastor Bob standing there with his hard hat on saying, God didn't do this. This is the devil, but God is going to restore us twice as much as we had before. And the reports were that when you held your meeting the next Sunday, where was it? At uh, Will Rogers? The reporters came and they were expecting a church in mourning and they, they said, it's like you guys won the lottery. Man, people were rejoicing and praising God. What were you praising God for? That God destroyed your facility? No, God didn't do it. The devil did it. But because you love God, because you pray and believe God, because you are out resisting the devil and doing what you need to do, God worked this together for good and you've got something that's twice as much as it was before. Amen. Praise God. Man, God can work all things together, but that does not mean that God is the source of it. If you believe that, you are going to become passive and you are just going to be pray for the devil. Scripture says over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. He cannot devour everybody. If it was all up to the devil, if it was just totally up to the devil, every one of us would be destroyed. We'd all be dying. We'd all be in trouble. Satan cannot destroy everybody. You know, one of the things that allows Satan is this doctrine that nothing happens but what God allows it. So therefore, Satan is actually God's messenger boy. Man, that just gives him a free pass. That allows him to enter into your camp. You drop your defenses. You open up your gates because after all, nothing could come in but what it's God's will. You don't have any guard up. You don't have any fences. You don't, you don't rebuke anything. Everything is God's will. How dumb can you get and still breathe? <laughs> and yet I've been there. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying, brothers and sisters, that'll get you killed. That'll destroy your life. And I know that many of you are thinking, well, what about the scriptures that, you know, if you want patience, tribulation worketh patience. And so people take that. That's out of uh, James chapter 1. Romans chapter 5 refers to similar type of thing. And people say that 
You know, if you want patience in all of these things, the only way you can grow is through your trials and tribulation and that God teaches you and prunes you and does all of these kind of things. If troubles caused you to be better, then the people who've suffered the most would be the holiest and the best. And that is not true. The Scripture says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 that through comfort and patience of the Scriptures you might have hope. Patience comes through the Word of God. And patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Now it is true that until you have problems where you get to exercise your patience, you aren't going to see your patience fully developed and have its complete work. And I don't deny that. We will have troubles in this world. And if you take what God has taught you and act on it, you'll be better off. But only if you fight against those problems. If you yield to them, you aren't going to be better off. You know, I liken this to when I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. I went through basic training and then through advanced training. And they spent from uh, June the 19th is when I got drafted and I got shipped out to Vietnam in January. So we spent six months training us how to do things and how to, you know, shoot a gun and throw hand grenades and blow up mines and low crawl and do all of this stuff. And they taught you how to kill the enemy with your bare hands and all of the booby traps. And they taught us all this kind of stuff. We went through all this training. But you know what? When you get over to Vietnam, there is a huge difference between a person who has been trained and a person who has put that training into practice in combat There is no comparison. Matter of fact, it was scary to see a brand new recruit come to Vietnam. They were dangerous. I could spend a lot of time talking about that, but there was a lot of things. I remember one time on Bunker Guard that we were sitting around and we were eating our sea rations. It was just about sunset, and this brand new recruit was pulling Bunker Guard with us. And he was just so excited. He says, man, can I throw a hand grenade anytime I want? Can I shoot a gun? He says, you can do whatever you want to. I mean, we were always throowing hand grenades, shooting our stuff. At one, we had one minute every hour after dark where the people on bunker guard, it was called a mad minute, and at the top of the hour, you would, you would shoot your M79 grenades, you'd throw hand grenades, you'd empty your entire magazine and just blow up anything outside of the perimeter, and that's the way we pulled bunker guard. Nothing could live, so it didn't matter if you could see them or not. They, you just killed whatever was outside of the perimeter, and that's the way we did. So there was always explosions and things. Anyway, this new recruit was just thrilled because in basic, you had to have an instructor standing beside you to do this. In Vietnam, you could throw a hand grenade, you could shoot your gun, you could do whatever, and this guy was just thrilled. So here we were eating our sea rations, and he says, can I throw a hand grenade? We said, you can do whatever you want to. Can I throw one now? And he just was really excited. So we said, throw a hand grenade if you want to. So anyway, this guy, he got up there, and he was pulling the pin, and that pin got stuck, and finally he, he just yanked it and uh, like that. And when he did, the hand grenade rolled right out of his hand and rolled right under my feet. And man, I threw my sea rations up in the air and I jumped over this rock and I was hiding behind this rock and we waited and it didn't go off. And it turned out, I was trained with the pineapple hand grenades that didn't have a safety. 
But this was a new hand grenade, the baseball kind, and it had a safety on it. I didn't know that those had a safety, and I was waiting on it to go off, but he, he didn't pull the safety. So we just got it, pulled the safety off and threw it. But anyway, we told that guy, he says, you just stay down in the bottom. We'll pull your bunker guard. <laughs> he, had, he had 300 and something hand grenades in a case right there, and we didn't want him doing all of this stuff. And we said, you just stay downstairs. We'll take care of this. You know what, he'd been through the same training that we'd been through, but he hadn't had any experience it, experience putting it together. So the point is that, you know what, it's not just training. You have to have the application, and you only get that by experience putting it into practice. And it is true that you become a better soldier if you live through the battle. But what would you think if... All soldiers knew that, and they said, you know what, I'm a recruit, and I've got all of this knowledge, but I'm not going to really be good until Charlie Kong comes along. And so they are looking for the enemy, and when they see the enemy, they go running out to embrace him. Oh, I'm so glad you're here to make me better. No, the enemy's not there to make you better. The enemy is there to kill you. And only if you resist the enemy and use the knowledge that you've got are you going to be any better. If you do anything less, if you embrace the enemy, you're going to be dead. And it's the same thing. It is true that resisting something and fighting against sickness will make you a stronger Christian and next time you'll be stronger and better off. But you know what? The faith came through the Word and the experience that you gain by fighting the devil will add to that and increase it and give you wisdom and it'll give you encouragement along the way. But if you embrace that sickness or welcome it or pray for it, you're going to die. That is just wrong. And yet this is what a lot of people are teaching. You know, I'm going to be wanting to teach a lot of other things this weekend, so there's so much. I, I could teach on this for two or three times, but let me just quickly say some things. In the Old Testament, somebody's probably thinking, well, what about where God smoked Miriam with leprosy? God did that, and you're saying that God... Basically, I've been saying God's a good God. If it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's from the devil. And some people will say, well, God struck Miriam with leprosy. God sent a death angel that killed 186,000 people in one night. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says that God will smite you with the botch and with the mildew and with emrods and blasting. You're saying God doesn't do that stuff. God doesn't control it. Well, in the Old Testament, there are examples of God smiting people with all kinds of things. But I defy you to find an instance where it was a good thing. It was not a blessing. It was a curse. It was judgment. And in the New Covenant, God placed our judgment upon Jesus. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. And under this New Covenant, God is not the one who is doing these things. You can find examples where God has done it and where He will do it in the future when there's coming a future time of judgment. But God is not the one who is causing this. He placed all of your judgment upon Jesus. And just in case anybody... You know, the Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, that uh, in the last days people will call evil good and good evil. And that's happening today. Like I've already said, they're saying it's, it's good to kill a baby. That's just a woman's free choice. That's good. But to eat meat is bad. 
And we've got everything all skewed around. But you know what? It's not only the lost people that are doing this. The church realm is doing the exact same thing, saying that, oh, this is really God that broke my neck and made me quadriplegic because I wasn't seeking Him, and this is how He got my attention. This is how God humbles you and things like this. The church is doing the same thing, saying evil is good and good is evil. But if you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14 list the blessings that come by serving the Lord. And in there is prosperity, health, victory in every area of your life, spirit, soul, and body. And then verses 15 through 68 list what the curses are. And you can find in there that the itch, a botch, I don't even know what a botch is really, blasting, blasting is high winds, damaging winds. It would apply to tornadoes, things like that, hurricanes, sickness. It says every sickness and every disease which is not written in this book of the law, them will the Lord bring upon you until you're destroyed. So every sickness and every disease, that covers every sickness and every disease, leaves none of them out. All of those things are listed on the curse side. It's just like you had a big chart up here and you put blessings on one side, curses on the other, drew a line down the middle. Verses 1 through 14 are what God says is a blessing. And nowhere in there is sickness called a blessing. Nowhere in there is poverty called a blessing. Matter of fact, it says that it puts all of those things, sickness and poverty are on the curse side over here. And it says that this was a curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse. If you ever get this mixed up and go to thinking that God is behind your problems, then it's going to render you passive because if you've got any sense at all, you won't resist God. If God is the one who has caused or allowed and permitted it, well, then that renders you passive and it renders you fair game for the devil to come in and destroy. So as we start talking about the authority of the believer and start talking about what is your part, you first of all got to get this straight. That there is a God who is a good God who has nothing but good plans for you. His thoughts are only thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God wants you to prosper. And then we have an enemy, the devil, who is no good in him. He is a liar, he's a deceiver, and his plans are only to steal, kill, and to destroy. If it's bad, it's the devil. If it's good, it's God. Now that needs a little interpretation because some of you might think getting a new mate is good. But that's not. Amen. So sometimes you, can, you might think it's good for you to uh, you know, go out and steal something. But it's not good. You, you need some instruction on what's good. But if it lines up with the Word of God, if it's good, it's God. God is not the author of the bad things in your life. And we've got to get rid of this that... Everything that happens is ordained of God. If that's true, then why are any of us doing anything? Why do you pray for elected officials? Why do you pray for people to be healed? Why do you pray for revival in this nation? Why do you do anything? Because there's no reason. It's all happening according to God's plan. Everything is the way God wants it to be. Why are you upset with me for preaching this message? Because I couldn't preach it if God didn't want me to preach it. I just is not smart. And I'm not upset with anybody because at one time I operated in this, but I've shared with you, I operated in it to my own damage. It nearly destroyed me. I've seen it destroy other people. 
And I tell you, I've seen so many people who are under this thought that God controls everything. And I can understand to a degree why people do it because it takes all responsibility away from you. You don't have to do anything. Whatever happens, it's all God. And it just gives you... it. In a, in a way, it makes sense out of the insane things that people do. Because you think, well, God's got some mysterious way that He's trying to work, and so you just are able to cope with it. But I tell you, there's a lot of insane things happening in this world that are not God's will. God is not controlling it. And we're in a battle for, of good and evil. And good doesn't always win because we don't always cooperate. And we don't always resist the devil. And there's things happening that are not God's will. There are people that are dying that it's not God's will that they die. There are people that are suffering. There are marriages that fall apart. And it's not God that causes those marriages to fall apart. There's businesses that you aren't prospering. There's things that are happening. There are people that are terrified. And you're asking God to deliver you from depression. And you're wondering why God hasn't done it. It's not God that hasn't delivered you. It's you that hasn't taken your authority and understood the truth and let the truth set you free. There's all kinds of things happening in this earth that God is not the author of it nor the one who permits it. And until you get that straight, you haven't gone very far with the Lord and you aren't going to see very much happen in your life. I mean, this is baby stuff. This is Christianity 101. If you ever waver in this then you aren't going to see the power of God manifest in your life. This is just foundational stuff. This is stuff that you ought to know the very first day that you're born again and never get confused in this area. You've got to know what's of God and what's of the devil. And what, this is a starting place, and then once you do that, then you can find out which things are under your control, what has God given you, what has He made you responsible for, how do you release this, and this is what we're going to be talking about the rest of this week. But I tell you, this is a starting place. And even those of you who I know that many of you have heard this and you've already agreed with it, we need to be reminded of it because this is not typical. This is against what most of religion is teaching. And I tell you, you hear it so often, it just is like brainwashing. It gets to where it, it gets on the inside of you and you go to wondering if somehow or another God has done this. God is not the one that's causing the problems in this nation. This is not God's judgment on this nation. If anything, September the 11th was a result of our choices. We told God, we don't want you in our public life. Get out of our schools. We're taking His Ten Commandments down. It's not God punishing us, but we just told Him to retreat. God's a gentleman. And so you know what? He didn't, we didn't want Him, and so He stepped back. And the supernatural protection that this nation is operated under is at risk right now. Not because God's mad. God's already paid for everything. But you know what? You've got to cooperate with Him. You've got to welcome Him in. And if you're turning away from God, I guarantee you Satan's going to go out there and he's going to destroy you. Satan is going to have inroads into your life. But it's not God's judgment coming on you. It's like a person holding an umbrella and saying, Here, let me protect you from this rain. So they're holding this umbrella over your head. But then you say, I don't want your umbrella. And they walk out there and then when they get wet, they say, why did you make me wet? <laughs> they aren't the one that made you wet. They were there protecting you. But you're the one that walked away from them. You walked out from under that covering and so you reap the results of it. 
God is not the author of your problems. God is a good God. God loves you. And you know what? There may be some people here tonight who've been confused in this and maybe because of this kind of stuff, you've, you know God exists, but you're kind of keeping Him at arm's length. You're only committed to God to a degree because you're afraid if you get close to Him, He might kill your baby because He loves you so much. That's basically the stuff that's being taught. And tonight, hopefully this has helped you to understand that God's a good God. God is not the author of these things. You know, there's a really famous guy, I won't tell you who this is, but one of the television moguls of our day who is a professed atheist and has openly said that he is doing the things that he's doing to try and change the culture of the United States and get us away from the Judeo-Christian ethic. And he has said that the reason he is so anti-Christian is because when he was a kid, his sister got sick and died, and the church said, God did that. And he shook his fist in the face of God and says, if there is a God, then I hate him. And he is very influential. All of you watch his networks and have listened to him, and he's had an influence on you, and it was because Christians represented God as the one who killed his sister. I guarantee you there's a lot of things happening today because of people blaming God for the tragedies that happen in our life. And God's not the author of them. God doesn't control you like a pawn. He gave us a free will. He has made all of His ability available to us, but it doesn't operate automatically. You have to cooperate and you have to learn some things. And this is one of the paramount things. You need to recognize some things are of God, you submit to them, and some things are of the devil and you resist them. That's a beginning place. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray for all of these people here tonight. And Father, I ask you to give us clarity in this. I know that there's so many other scriptures that have been misrepresented. There's so many other things that I could have said. But Father, I believe that your Holy Spirit takes these things here tonight. And that Father, you bring clarity to people. And that Father, we understand that you don't just automatically control things. That much, much, much of the devastation and destruction in our life has been our own wrong choices. Some of it's been the devil. Some of it's just the fallen, corrupt world that we live in. Things happen. But Father, I believe that you turn people away from this fatalism that you just control every single thing and that you are the author of these tragedies. Father, I believe that the word here tonight sets people free. I believe that this emboldens people to stand against the things that are of the devil, to resist with all they've got without any fear that they are fighting against God because they know that you are only the author of every good and every perfect gift. So, Father, I thank you. I believe that these words are ministering to people and setting them free. Thank you, Jesus. And Satan, I have exposed you. I've exposed your lies. And I believe that tonight you have to flee out of people's lives. The areas that they have submitted unto you, thinking this was God's judgment, that it was God's way of blessing them, that it was correction or whatever. We just renounce this. We renounce these lies. We command sicknesses and diseases, problems, trials, hurts, and heartaches. We bind those things and say that you are not going to dominate us any longer. 
We take authority over our lives. We stand and resist you, Satan, and command you to flee in all of these areas. And Father, I thank you for it. I thank you, Father, that people are being set free. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive that. Praise the Lord. You know, right now, I believe that there's people that you have been somewhat passive. There can be varying degrees of this. But there's people in here that have been partially passive towards a sickness or disease in your life because you were thinking maybe it was God's judgment. Maybe God's correcting you. Maybe God's trying to teach you something. And tonight, as you've changed that attitude, and now you're ready to resist, actively fight against the devil. You know what? I believe that you can see those diseases and those things change. The thing that has allowed Satan to stay there is your passivity. The Bible says you resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've been asking God to get rid of the devil out of your life. God doesn't rebuke the devil. You have to resist and he will flee from you. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.